1: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 27th. This is a crazy thing to say, but Day eight of the Australian Open officially in the books. And our quarterfinal matches are set on the single side. We had a ton of fun action to recap. I would argue the second half of the fourth round far more dramatic than the first half we were treated to yesterday. We had a five-set battle on the men's side, multiple three-set battles on the women's side. And just a lot of fun tennis to talk about, so joining me to do just that as he has throughout this Australian Open, you know him as a co-host of these Mini Break Podcasts, a former Denison men's tennis superstar, of course, I affectionately refer to him as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast, how are you doing?
2: Thank you, thank you, not doing too bad, uh, another day in lovely Granville, Ohio, so just got to appreciate that, and then going back to Kansas City and, uh, you know, just doing my thing.
1: That's always half the fun is being on the road trying to follow all of these matches and it's crazy to me that we're already through. You know, a week ago at this time we were like, oh, how are we going to break down 88 day two matches? These slams go by so quickly and I hope you've been enjoying the action as much as I have.
2: For sure. Yeah, it is pretty crazy how fast. It just seems like a couple days ago and that's only a few more than that where it's like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through all these matches and now there's eight of them to talk about, right? Um, So yeah, it does go by quick. So God, I learned to appreciate it in those few day stretches where the things really start heating up.
1: Yeah, of course, and I appreciate that you and Matt were willing to give me a day off. We have some fun announcements coming on the Crack Rackets front. That's what I was doing on Saturday. There are some big planned things we had to work on, so you guys took over the mini-break on that day. Not only did I appreciate listening to it, but of course, uh, as we say on another podcast of ours, hey, great shot for that. We also are so appreciative of our title sponsors here at the mini-break, Diadem Tennis. Now, if you've been listening all week, you guys are well aware of Diadem. Their rackets, their string technology, we are big fans of it here at Cracked Rackets, ITA kickoff weekend just in the books, two guys you'll remember from ITA kickoff weekend's past, sell Seku Bangora, both professional tennis players, both rocking the Diadem gear on tour, and look, if it's good enough for the pros, it's good enough for you, use our promo code CR50 to get 50% off your order, not just your first, but every order with Diadem Sports, and look, strings can get expensive, grips can get expensive, it, it all adds up, and so... Take advantage of the promo code while you ha- while you can. C R fifty again. Diadem Sports shout out to them. That being said, Jamie, uh, let's get back to this tennis because there is so many so much good tennis to start. We only had eight matches and yet we really could do deep dives on all of them. That being said, only three brig. Big breakdowns, and I think the match we have to start with the five set battle we were treated to on the men's side. The number 15 seed, Stan Wawrinka, obviously former uh, Australian Open Grand Slam champion, three time major champion, knocks off the number four seed and our 2019 US Open finalist, Daniil Medvedev, 6'2, 2'6, 4'6, 7'6, 6'2. What's most surprising to me, Jamie, is the scoreline. The fact that Medvedev went up two sets to one, and Wawrinka managed to come back, that is the thing that stands out the most from the get-go.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that Wawrinka got a set here. It being the first one obviously sets a good tone for him, but you're right. The fact that he got down those after those second and third sets and bounced back, wins the tiebreak, that was very impressive.
1: Yeah, it was just for Daniil Medvedev, who— you know physicality is so important to his game he wants to extend the match as long as possible particularly when you're playing a guy in Stan Wawrinka who's no spring chicken Stan Wawrinka enters this tournament aged 34 and yes he's still inside the top 20 but I don't think anyone expected this sort of physical performance from him he's gone the distance twice now at this Australian Open getting wins both times he's done it against both Andreas Seppi in that second round and now here against Medvedev probably helped him that he had got the uh, the layover in the second set from Isner in that last round, uh, but if you, you look for Stan Wawrinka here, it's just the margins that he played with. Uh, you know, he made 69% of his first serves, won 76% of those points, 51% of the second serve points, 4 of 11 on his breakpoint chances versus Medvedev's 3 of 8. I mean, 71 winners against 64 unforced errors. I want to get to the breakdown of the match in a second, but just superficially on those numbers alone, indicative of how well Stan played in this one.
2: Yeah, definitely. And he even spoke about it, right? This He felt good. And this is one of the few times he's been in a big-time match and has felt really good um, after all of his injuries and surgeries. So that's great to see. You know, um, you maybe you, may you fault me for this, but I'm always super high on Stan Ravarenka. So this one feels good for sure to see. And I think part of it, too, you said, you know, we don't have to get super into the stats right now. But just for me, in terms of a matchup, when Medvedev starts to play, you know, the defensive scramble, things that he does so well – Sometimes it works better for a guy like Wawrinka because Stan Mm -hmm. is somebody who we've seen be able to hit the top, the best scrambler and retriever of all time, Novak Djokovic. Um, When Stan is on, he can hit someone like that off a court. He's one of the very few who's able to do that on the biggest stages. and Ultimately, we saw a lot of that in this match.
1: I'm so happy that's where you went because that's where I wanted to talk about as well. Daniil Medvedev coming into this one against Stan Wawrinka, 2-0 and in their careers. He beat him last year in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. And you'd think, you know, because he's able to extend matches so long physically that maybe that's where you give Medvedev the edge because he's able to get his opponent in so many uncomfortable positions. He's able to make so many extra balls. Could he end up just wearing stand down over the course of a five-set match? And to his credit, You know, he almost did. But you're right, matchup-wise, the fact that, you know, Daniil Medvedev likes to play with his food, he's going to give you a bunch of chances. You can't do that against Stan Wawrinka. Even at age 34, the power he can generate off of the forehand and the backhand wing, the patience he showed, too, in not pulling. I think in that second set in particular, he sort of lost it towards the end. He did start pulling the trigger too soon. But again, the superficial stats from him, 71 winners against 64 unforced errors. He went for his shot. But he was so patient about it, so cautious in searching out the exact right ball. Because if you give Daniil Medvedev even a semi-clean look at a passing shot, he can come up with good things. And in fact, you look at the advanced stats in this one uh, for Daniil Medvedev. He, his two best shots: he was plus five on backhand passing shots, plus four uh, on, uh, uh, or sorry, plus two on forehand passing shots. But for Wawrinka, he kept moving forward. He's plus six on the forehand and backhand volleys at the net in total in this match. 31 of 46 for 67%. There were a bunch of times Medvedev tried to throw in the drop shot because Stan would be playing so far behind the baseline. And while Rika tracked them down, he did something creative with that first ball. It's a testament to his level now. I'm fascinated to see how he bounces back, how he's able to recover after a match that's that's this physical but you could hear it from the commentators throughout this this is shades of you know 2013 14 15 Stan Wawrinka where he's just playing so well it does you know Daniil Medvedev did not play poorly in this match but the match was entirely on Stan's racket
2: yeah definitely and I may think really when I was beginning to watch this match in that first set I mean, just generally speaking, that's the best I've seen Favrinka play in a long time. And I think his ability to have that confidence in himself, not to pull the trigger too early, but say, no, I can't, even if he gets one, two, three, four balls back, I can still rip the same exact shot over and over and over. Um, And ultimately, a lot of times that's why Medvedev beats people, is because they pull the trigger too early or they aren't able to have the shot tolerance to handle that one, that first or second ball back. Favrinka said, no, I can, and I will, and that's what he proved.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be a really fun matchup in his quarterfinal when he takes on Alex Zverev, who will be looking to get to his first slam semifinal. It's not that Medvedev and Zverev do the same thing, but they both do like to introduce that physical element of the match. They're both not afraid to be grinders behind the baseline. Uh, That being said, the Zverev back—I mean— Okay, let's talk about Daniil Medvedev for two seconds because this was a guy, you know, number four seed despite only making one quarterfinal at a slam or better in his career It coming at last year's U.S. Open. I don't think this was a disappointing loss. In fact, you look at, again, the superficial stats. I thought he played really well in this match. He made 69% of his first serves, won 68% of those points, 56% of his second serve points. Pretty solid 18 of 32 at the net, 44 winners against 35 unforced errors. But there is still the fact that, he, I, other than the serve, I don't know what his definitive weapon is. He does everything on a court so well, but the big serve plus one forehand, it's there sometimes, but it's not there routine enough. The serve and volley is there sometimes, but it's not there all the time. That's the only missing piece, is for Daniil Medvedev to find that one plus one weapon to win him some easier points. Do you think that's fair?
2: I think that's fair. I mean, when, when watching him, sometimes this also makes him hard to play though, because you don't know what he's going to do. Right. And so sometimes it works to his benefit, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes hard to to imagine, okay, what's his, what's his A play? What's his B play, right? Like, what are we looking for here? Um, You know, there's some people, some of the greats we've seen just have textbook plays that they go to Mm -hmm. in clutch times. And, you know, for Medvedev, I'm sure he'll develop those over time. I, I think you're right on it there. I think one thing though, that you could, construe as a weapon is just his ability to really do anything on the sure. court but when it comes crunch time you're right it, it that doesn't get you a set play i know i'm going to do this because it will win me the point um it, it's more of a mindset and how he plays so yeah i think that's fair
1: I, it you use the term djokovic uh ask in the way he just you know he, it, it's death by a thousand you know knife uh, pokes right or death by a thousand paper cuts, uh, right? It's that sort go. of thing. A thousand knife pokes, you're dead. Uh, but yeah, a thousand paper cuts, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. That variety Medvedev can play with. it. It's absolutely his biggest strength. But I just think as as, you know, often as he wanted to extend this match physically, and as that usually played to his favor, uh, it just, you know, it's really hard to win a match against these elite guys when you're playing seven feet behind the baseline, and again, the serve and volley play could work, because his first serve is a freaking weapon in this match, he's averaging 117 on the first, uh, only 90 miles per hour on the second, and just... There's For a guy that big with his sort of coordination, too often he's 30 feet behind the baseline when he could be you know, maybe one, two feet behind the baseline taking a few more balls early. And it's a testament to how good he is at everything else that he's already a top-five player. But if he gets a plus-one weapon, I would just say look out, right?
2: Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, too, we can maybe draw the comparison to Monfils sometimes. Um, Interesting. Because— Because a lot of times what will happen is Monfils sometimes gets himself into trouble because instead of playing maybe a more aggressive game that he should and really pushing the envelope, he's stuck you know 14 feet behind the baseline, grinding away because he can't. He's that athletic. Sometimes you see a little bit of that in Daniil Medvedev. We see it. We've definitely talked about it in terms of Zverev um, as well. And so they get trapped in this sort of game style because they can get away with it. The problem is when you do that against somebody who, you know, someone like Vavrinka who can quite literally do anything, hit anyone off a court on his best day, that's just not going to get it done, right? And so you don't, you want to be careful that, you know, these top guys like Medvedev aren't slipping into those patterns when they really should be the ones, should be the aggressors in the point sometimes.
1: Yeah, and as you mentioned, it was one of those best days for Stan Wawrinka. So he earns his spot in the quarterfinals, and it will be fun to watch him take on Alex Zirov in that next matchup. Uh, let's switch gears now. Let's go to the women's uh, side of the bracket, because there was, again, two fascinating three-set matches there as well. The one I want to start with, a player, as you are well aware, uh, because we exchanged texts off mic as well as on mic, all of the things we talk about, Iga Swiatek, who I'm going to butcher her last name because it's still unclear to me exactly how to, I'm just, I apologize for that, but one thing I will not butcher uh, is not putting her amongst the game's young up-and-coming stars on the WTA side, because although she lost this match to Annette Conteve, the number 28 seed, who by the way we will talk about in making the first quarterfinal of her young career at the slam level, uh, she has a ton of things to be excited about as well, but to watch this young Polish player fight back, uh, you know, she won the first set 7-6, she was, up a break, four-three in that second set before giving it back to Contevay, and then Contevay raced out to a five-one lead in that third set. And to watch fight fight all the way back, just what an impressive performance from the young Polish star, and what a match it made in this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, such a roller coaster, right? I mean, a match that's pegged at about you know. Two hours, 45, just a grind, of course. You know, the scoreline in and of itself says that. But especially when you mention that third set, you know, the 28 seed, Conteve rushes out to that 5-1 lead, like you mentioned, and, you know, you're seeing a seeded player against an unseeded later in a tournament. You're thinking, okay, this is pretty much it. Like you said, so much credit to Swiatek here for coming back, making this a physical match in the third set. You know, unfortunately for her, ends up not going her way, losing at 5-7. But yeah, I mean, only positives to pull from that one for me.
1: Yeah, I, and I want to say for, again, Annette Kontave, the 24-year-old Estonian who is making her first major quarterfinal, we haven't forgotten about her. I mean, what she did to Belinda Bencic in that third round, 6-0, 6-1, may have been the performance of the tournament. And you look at the things Kontave did well in this one. Uh, you know, she she uh, hits, I believe it's 29 winners against 35 unforced errors, which was fine because she really was weathering the Igušvaitek storm. Uh, but for Kontave, she makes 61% of her first serves, wins 61% of those points, 9 of 14 on breakpoint chances, and boy, do we have some breakpoint chances in this one, Jamie. Conteve, 9 of 14, Svitek 7 of 19. I mean... For Annette is it's that she kept firing away. It's that she went down an early set and it didn't matter. She raised her level. She stayed steady. She allowed the 19 year olds to experience the ups and downs of a Grand Slam fourth
0: round. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology. With its sleek mid cut silhouette, it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all. All levels, whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG one empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG one at newbalance.com.
1: And I, I don't want to say that Shvaite beat herself, but I mean Contevay just was the steadier of the two down the home stretch and that's ultimately why she got the job done.
2: Yeah, I mean that's what it I mean that's really what it takes and you know to the composure to, to blow a lead like that in a third set. Um, and still be able to, you know, capitalize upon the opportunity, reset yourself mentally, understand that you're still very much in a good position to get to the next round of the Australian Open. If you just sort of recenter yourself and get back to business, that's impressive. And that only bodes well for the future. And just to quickly return to the break point piece, yes, 16 breaks in a match, that's a lot.
1: (laughs) Uh, Unbelievable. I mean, again, you look at the total amount of break points between the two players, they had 33 break chances. I mean, yeah. Sixteen of thirty-three on the match. That's a that's a lot of break chances. As you may. yeah, um, but for for Iga Swiatek, I think what was so. Promising about her is how good she is on the run. I know she ends up with 42 winners against 51 unforced errors, and yeah, she she ended up getting drawn into a lot of mistakes because Conteve was able to dictate off of her return. Uh, for Svitek, she only makes 49% of her first serves, wins 59% of those points, but 44% of her second serve points, which is where the majority of points were being played for her. She played you know three more second serve points during the match than first serve, which is never something you want in a grand slam fourth round, and there are nerves that play into that, but just the way she moves, the way she generates power on the run from her back end. and again, credit to Conteve for putting Svitek Shv- on the run so often, uh, but for... I mean, it's just another one of these young players you throw right in there with the Yastremskas, the Bellis's, the benchages, the Kennens of the world. They're, I mean, and that Annette Conteve is 24 years old. The, the WTA is just loaded right now.
2: Yeah, they are loaded with young talent. I mean, you mentioned Swiatek, obviously going to be seeing more of her. Doesn't turn 19 until like close to the summer, I believe. So... A lot of up-and-comers, no doubt about it. Uh, WTA seems to be in a very good spot, at least for the future.
1: (laughs) Yeah, oh, without kidding. I mean, we haven't even talked about the Garbine Muguruza revival yet. You know, the 26-year-old looking as good as any player right now and you know for Simona Halep who's also been cruising she's still 28 Pliskova on her you know number three player in the world she's 27 Svitolina's 25 and it's like yeah but you guys aren't the young stars anymore we've got all of these 21 and under players who have looked so good thus far and yeah it speaks to how good of a situation we're in right now on the WTA side Um, all right with that in mind let's do our last breakdown let's move on back to the ATP side for this last match not a, uh, a five-set battle, but still a, a battle for sure. A four-set thriller goes on. In the primetime match, I think everyone was waiting for it here on Day 8. I, of course, am talking about the number one seed, Rafael Nadal, knocking out hometown favorite and number 23 seed, Nick Kyrgios. 6-3, 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. It's the exact same score as their matchup from, I believe it was Wimbledon last year. Uh, I, and I have to say, you know, for Nick Kyrgios, who played a five-set battle, with Hatchinov the round before. Uh, this was a fantastic showing and a really high level of tennis, Jamie.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is really what we we had been expecting from this match, right? Everyone had been circling this clash from the very minute the, the draws had come out. They're like, oh, we, we know we want this fourth round match. Um, and, and it did not disappoint us, right? I mean, you mentioned, yeah, it's not a five-setter, but went longer than the five-setter of Medvedev and Vavrinka. A grueling match. You mentioned two of those tiebreaks there, and I mean, Nadal ultimately ends up winning this, deserves to win it, but man, Nick Kyrgios was right there.
1: Yeah, you look at the stats for this match just superficially. I mean, in terms of break points, this is the opposite of that Shvitek, uh kanteve match. Rafa goes two of nine in this match. Kyrgios, two of three. Uh, you look in terms of total aces, and uh, double faults for Kyrgios, 25 aces, five double faults, makes 75% of his first serves, wins 73% of those points. And yet Rafa did what Rafa does. You give him a floater of a second serve or a ball that he can take control of the point with, and he's going to do just that for Kyrios. 14 of 38 on the second serve. In particular, those moments came up big in the tiebreakers. Rafa winning two tiebreakers, again, 8-6 and 7-4 in the third and fourth sets of this match. And if you were Nick Kyrios, that's what you wanted to get to. You wanted to play tiebreaker tennis. You wanted to give yourself, just hold on to that serve. And for the majority of this match, he did. Now, Jamie, I have a really fun info. His stats plus for you for rafa winners plus unforced errors minus unforced errors on the forehand side what do you think he was at say it again winners and forced errors minus unforced errors from his forehand side oh god
2: uh okay so i already looked total in the match he had 64 winners um i don't know what's he
1: at He's like plus 27 20? on the forehand. Yeah. 23 winners, yeah. 15 forced airs against 11 unforced airs. That's crazy. That's, and that's the rhythm he played. Forehand to the Kyrios backhand, forehand to the Kyrios backhand. Now, to Curios's credit, he did make a, quite a few backhand down the lines to keep Rafa honest. He did work in his slice backhand as well, but for him, two winners against two uh, forced airs versus 11 unforced airs on that backhand side for minus seven. I mean, Rafa does that to everyone, and why Kyrgios was three and four against him coming in it to this matchup in their careers is because Kyrgios has the serve to be as a weapon to take control away from Rafa and is confident taking that backhand down the line but it was just too much from Nadal today again you look for him he makes 65% of his first serves but wins 85% of those points wins 64% of his second serve points if Kyrgios floated a return Rafa's on it with a first forehand whether it be inside in inside out if at this point you don't know the Rafael Nadal patterns what tennis have you been watching over the past (laughs) 15 years, and he did just that. Now, the thing about late career Rafa that I think we enjoy most, and this is something to think about moving forward as he takes on Dominic Team in the next round, Rafa 24 of 37 at the net, 65%. His ability to recognize, and not only recognize, but then spring forward when he sees his opponent go to a slice to try and buy himself time and just snap that ball off with a volley, it's why he's continued to have success on a hard court this late in his career.
2: Yeah, I mean, Nadal's a guy you talk about, and sometimes you see his percentages are so high, and it's not that he's not a good volleyer, because he does have exceptional hands, and he knows what to do when he's up at the net. It's like you mentioned, he knows exactly the correct time to come in, gives himself a lot of just easy finishing balls, doesn't have to hit three more ground strokes, right? He's up at the net, easy cutoff, done. And he did that very effectively, and that didn't stop in this match.
1: Yeah, and again, credit to Nick Kyrgios, who went 50 winners against 43 unforced errors in total. I mean, he he did all he could to do his part. You know, you can't give Rafa the match, right? You can't give Rafa anything easy, and Kyrgios didn't. But for Rafa Nadal, 64 winners against 27 unforced errors. Like, what are we doing at this point? Why are we even—let's just watch the Nadal-Djokovic final already. Let's just get there. <sighs> I mean, I want
2: to say I hope not, just because that really makes uh, any of our podcasts that we record pointless until then, right? But um, I, I mean, yeah, at the level that they're playing right now, I, it just looks like that's what we're headed for.
1: Yeah, I, I just think that, I mean. What what are you going to do? I, I said Kyrgios didn't give Rafa anything easy. It's the same thing. When you're playing a Nick Kyrgios, you can't give him a loose return game because his serve is that dominant. And Rafa didn't give him anything loose. Rafa was zoned in. You could tell the intensity. Again, these guys were rivals beforehand. And maybe the most enjoyable part of this match was the respect. They showed one another at the level of play. It speaks to, like, they they both realized, wow, you know, we're we're both, you know, for Rafa, as one of the greats, the elder statesmen of the sport right now, he said, wow, this guy's the real deal. You know, I recognize his talent. He is for sure a threat. And for Kyrgios, you could even tell sometimes Rafa would hit some shots and he'd just be like, man, that's too good.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, we've we've seen some animosity between these two, but... That doesn't mean there's a lack of respect. Um, I mean, there there are certain things, obviously. Nadal talked about that he didn't respect specifically, right? With the underhand serve. I mean, that, I know that started a lot of stuff here. Um, but yeah, between them as two players, they recognize they recognize each other's talent level, and they know even Curious, he I mean, he knows what Nadal has been to the game, and you know he strives to do a lot of things that Nadal has been able to do. So there's definitely mutual respect in that regard. One thing I want to say real quick because I forgot to I forgot to put it in there when you mentioned uh, Nadal and Djokovic being on this collision course. I know we talked about Kyrgios big-time serving, getting a lot of aces in all of his matches. Somebody who's been flying kind of under the radar, Raonic, who's been hitting aces left and right. Could he perhaps disrupt the Djokovic and at all crash course we, uh, we could be on here?
1: Yeah, I mean... I do look forward to that Rayonich match, Jamie, and that's something we will talk about when we get to our preview. But we have a couple of more Day 8 matches to get through, and let's start on the women's side because that's where the upsets were today, uh, at least by seed. I suppose once you get to the fourth round, Jamie, everyone's pretty good, so is anything really an upset that's, you know, I guess up to the viewer. But let's start with uh, the other three-set battle we had, the number 30 seed and last year's semi-finalist Anastasia pevelchenkova a 6-7 seed. 7662 winner over the number 17 seed Angelique Kerber, and for Pavlchenkova, it's the same thing we saw in Pliskova. When she's on, the firepower is just tremendous.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we know Kerber's such a great retriever, somebody who, um, you know, like a Medvedev, like a Djokovic, can make somebody just miserable by the amount of balls they have to get back. But you're right, the 30 seed, you know, obviously showing her comfort level here, given her past uh, last year in the 2019, now here in 2020, already through to the quarters, looking really good, especially in that 6-2 convincing third set win.
1: Yeah, and for Pavelchenkova, it's the same sort of deal as we saw. Again, you look at, for her, 71 winners against 36 unforced errors. I know Kerber wasn't necessarily moving her best towards the end of that match. She's got, I think, an ankle injury that continues to bother her, but... Yeah, that's just ridiculous. 26 of 30 at the net for Pavlochenkova. She's just playing the sort of aggressive tennis that got her to this position last year. And it's really fun to watch, as you mentioned. So she will be uh, someone to watch in the quarterfinals as well. Uh, And I I know we look forward to seeing her play uh, when she takes on. I'm I'm trying to think. Who does she play tomorrow? I think she has Muguruza, She'll be taking Muguruza. Yeah, right. And that'll be a really powerful uh, battle between two players who are definitely playing their best tennis these two weeks as Garbine Muguruza. Muguruza knocks out the next seed here uh, in the draw. Her, I think, her second seed, third seed of the tournament. In Kiki Burton's, the number nine seed, six three six three. I mean, Muguruza is a two-time Slam champion, so I think anyone who's watched tennis uh, over these past ten years is well aware of what she's capable of when she's playing her best. But it's the confidence to have the 2019 year she did to be, you know, go from Slam champion to unseeded in a draw. I, it's just really special week, the uh, you know, week and a half thus far from her
2: yeah and it's great to see you know of course the talent sort of lining up now with the performance you know i had a had a bit of a drop-off had some poor tournaments some early exits from some big dame tournaments so difficult to see for muger with but now i mean she's looking almost unstoppable right she's taking out seeds in straight sets making it look um, not too hard on herself she's looking very very good and ultimately this is what we would come to expect after we've seen some of her slam wins so good to see her back sort of where she belongs
1: yeah, and, you know, now uh, for her, this is a great opportunity. I think Rothman was saying she's, like, plus 550 to win the tournament. She's playing as well as anyone. Just watch these matches. I mean, Kiki Burton's more of a clay court player than a hard court specialist, and, you know, she, there were a lot of balls sitting for Muguruza to attack, but she did just that. And, I mean, in that second set, they traded I think it was four breaks to start the second set, and then from there Muguruza kind of got her bearings and coasted. So, really good performance from her. Uh, our last women's on the day, another former two-time Slam champion, Simona Halep, who getting closer and closer to completing that career Grand Slam. She makes the quarterfinals here now after a 6-4, 6-4 win over the number 16 seed Elise Mertens. Halep was a finalist here two years ago when she lost to Wozniacki. And I mean, the way she's moving, the, the confidence she's displaying, just her attitude on court... I mean, it's obvious by seed, but I, th- I think this Conteve-Halup matchup it could be something really special because it's two players playing their absolute best tennis.
2: Certainly. And, and you, you wonder, too, if the physicality of the match that Conteve just had, hopefully it doesn't impact it, right? But a Halup win, what, getting in, getting through four and four versus the Conteve absolute grind we just saw. Hopefully there's not too many lingering effects on the Conteve side for that. But Halup just been going about her business through this tournament. Um, four seed, protecting that seeding of four. Now matches up with Conteve, the twenty eighth seed in the quarters. Like you said, going to be a phenomenal match. Definitely one to circle if you're going to pick one of the quarters to watch.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be a really fun women's quarterfinal as well. And we have two women's quarterfinal matches tonight that we will get to momentarily. But first, we have to summarize our last two men's matches, both straight set victories uh, for the two seeds that we have moving on to the next round. Let's start with Dominic Team, who won six two six four six four over Gael Monfils. For Dominic Team, he's now into his first Australian Open quarterfinal. He's going to get to take on Rafa, which we all know will be an absolute battle. Um, and he has looked, you know, hes I think his form, he's one of those guys who's gotten better and better as this tournament's progressed.
2: Definitely. He looked incredibly sharp. And, you know, it was one of those matches where Gael Monfils is on the receiving end and... It just doesn't look like he knows what to do um and, and in short sometimes there wasn't much he could do you know given how well Dominic Team was playing a convincing win by the scoreline and also if simply if you were watching point to point Dominic Team was simply just in, in control of this match
1: yeah and, uh, and now again in Rafa that's a battle we have seen multiple times on a hard court and I, I just think Dominic Team, despite the one-handed backhand uh, when he's on, his power can hit anyone off the court, so he, if he serves well, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't see him knock off Rafa in this quarterfinal round. Our next winner, a guy who never has made a quarterfinal beyond the French Open, is the number 7 seed Alex Virev, who has had the quietest first eight days of any quarterfinalist, in my opinion. He's won all 12 of the sets he's played uh, in this round. He knocks off the number 17 seed Andre Rublev, who I think entered this match, or on a 14 or 15 match winning streak, and he knocked him off in straight sets, six four, six four, six four. Now, Rublev, Zverev, friends for a long time, two juniors who came up the ranks together. Uh, one could argue, you know, we all have that person if you've played tennis who maybe they were older than you, maybe they were younger than you, whatever it is, who you just always played, and maybe you were the one who was always winning, maybe they were the one who's always winning, but we always have that one person, and I think Zverev is that person for Rublev. But for Alex Zverev, the biggest concern he's alleviated thus far in the tournament i mean he's serving dominantly particularly on the first serve it's going in in this one and in this match in particular against rublev first serve wise he made 75 percent of those first serve points 49 of 54 overall on first serve points in this match against rublev if he's doing that if he's serving like his six foot six frame could someday dictate that's a scary proposition entering 2020
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think Zverev's just got to be thinking to himself, it's about time, right? You know how frustrated he's been with some of his results, and how particularly he's called out his own serve, talking about like, why can't I get this thing together? And so the serving performances he's put on display thus far, I mean, he's finally thinking okay, here we are. We got this, right? We're in a good spot, Um, taking out Rublev a guy who's been red hot in straight sets, now setting up a match with Vavrinka. Zverev's got to be feeling pretty good about himself here.
1: Oh, yeah, and You know, as someone who has ridden the ups and downs emotions of being an Alexander Zverev fan it's been the most delightful Grand Slam I've seen from him this you know thus far in his young career and in San Wawrinka a guy who's coming off the most physical five-set match possible that Alex Zverev's only played 12 sets through four matches could not be more beneficial than it is in this moment so that's going to be a really fun quarterfinal to watch but before we get to those quarterfinals we got to get through our day nine preview of course we've got two uh, men's quarterfinals two women's quarterfinal action tonight. Uh, Let's start on the women's side because I would argue the match of the day does not—it's not Federer-Sandgren, it's not— Djokovic uh, versus Rayonich. No, it's definitely on the top half of our women's draw where we have a rematch from last year's Australian Open quarterfinals as the number one seed Ashley Barty is going to take on the number seven seed Petra Kvitova. Now, last year, you'll remember Kvitova was a finalist and she knocked off Barty 6-1, 6-4 in this round. But Barty won the three matches after that, all of them coming on hard courts in Miami. It was a three-set win for Barty in Beijing. Three sets for Barty at the WTA Championship. She knocked off Kvitova in straight sets that being said Petra Kvitova holds a four to three career head-to-head advantage over Ashley Barty uh, you know the lefty Kvitova is going to use that big forehand to try and force as many Barty slices as possible force Barty to hit through her backhand as often as she can which you know not something Barty wants to do she wants to use her variety that being said you know Jamie what are your thoughts heading into this one
2: Yeah, a really interesting matchup. Obviously, played each other multiple times. They know just how different their styles are. Um, Honestly, this one can go either way. I would say, I mean, I think Ash Barty is going to go into this with the edge. Although what we've seen from Kvitova, I mean, she's had some very convincing wins and looked solid. So if Ash Barty isn't on her A game, um, it's going to be difficult. I think for me, it's really going to come down to Kvitova's execution on just simply being able to hit those aggressive shots from the baseline over and over, right? It's about that shot tolerance because Ash Barty is going to get one, two more back. And yeah, one of them might be kind of a weird slice that lands in an awkward part of the court. Kvitova's got to be sharp and get up to those balls and move forward when she can, or else Ash Barty's just ultimately going to make Kvitova hit one more ball and miss, and boom, that's how Barty wins matches.
1: How old do you think Petra Kvitova is? I, um Yeah, tread lightly, but just curious. Because she's been around, I'm saying conscious wise, you know, she has, it felt like she's been near or around the top of the game for a while.
2: 31.
1: Good guess. She's 29. Um, Okay. So again, this is not a post-prime Petra Kvitova. This is in her best form finalist here last year, Petra Kvitova. She has the firepower to hit Ashley Barty off the court. When Petra Kvitova plays her best, you know, Maria Sakari gave Kvitova all she could physically. And in the end, Kvitova's just power wore uh, Sakari down. Now, I would lean Ashley Barty in this one because... Ashley Barty's a completely different player since they played last year in the quarterfinals. She's won a major in singles since then. She's competed in a bunch of fourth weeks of ma- fourth weeks, second weeks in majors. No, she's so good she makes it to the fourth week. Uh, the point is, she is you know, and this is her home slam. So now that Kyrgios is out, all eyes pointing on Ashley Barty. I like her to advance in this one, but I also expect it to be a really close match. So I know that's going to be fun uh, for us to watch tonight. Uh, you look at the other matches we have here on the women's side. Really fun one. Two first-time Grand Slam quarterfinalists against uh, Sophia Kennan taking on Ons Jabeur. Uh, they've played three times in their career, twice in 2019. They were both win. All three have been wins for Sophia Kennan, but in 2019, uh, both of them straight set wins as well. I mean, for Jabeur, she's confident. She's hitting the light, you know, the covers off of the ball right now. She just came off a great win over Chiang Wang, 7-6-6-1. And yet, I just think Kennan's variety in this one, it's going to be too much.
2: Yeah, I mean, kenneth has got to be feeling very good—not only just confident about the particular matchup, but just generally speaking, where she's at in this tournament. You know, she's getting a chance to open up the night on Rod, or open up the day on Rod Laver, going against an unseeded player to get into the semis. She's in a good spot, and I think she's going to be feeling good, particularly with the level we've seen from her in the last couple rounds.
1: Yeah, uh, it should be a really good match, and you know, for both of them, I'm sure nerves will factor in at some point in this yeah. match. The idea of getting to that first semifinal. Uh, we'll, we'll plan. But it's always exciting to start the year with a first-time major semifinalist, and we're guaranteed that with the winner of this match. So that just gives someone—there's always going to be a reason to be excited no matter who wins this Kenin and Jabbour matchup. All right, let's switch to the men's side now. Uh, two matches there as well. Uh, let's start with maybe the less interesting of the two. Roger Federer, Tennis Sandgren, playing in their first-ever head-to-head match. Uh, now, we have all know Roger Federer. He's been to the quarterfinals of majors oh so many times for tennis sandgren it's his second major quarterfinal second time in australia doing that as well and in roger federer he's getting the test of the tournament you know sandgren has had some good wins thus far uh, in australia he knocked out obviously Matteo berrettini in five sets he knocked out fonini in four sets sand uh he knocked us off queer and chungoliti in his other matches But he hasn't faced the gauntlet that is Roger Federer, and they're going to be on Rod Laver Arena tonight. You know the crowd's going to be pulling for Federer. Uh, That being said, what does a tennis-Sandgren win look like?
2: A tennis-Sandgren win, I don't know, it can be a few things. I mean, you don't want to cop out and just say Federer doesn't play well, but that's definitely, that's uh, scenario number one for me. I think Sandgren to his credit he's done a lot of great things getting one two three more balls back um, being able to grind people down particularly if federer isn't razor sharp on those i can see a scenario where sandgren gets up in this match and just holds it Um, because federer there are times when you see he's not obviously he's not perfect right Um, and so there are multiple times when you'll see federer get frustrated i mean one that comes back to me a lot of times is the millman match at us open even part of this most recent millman match millman just was able to wear him down in some of those sets and I can see a lot of those similar points happening with Sandgren. Now here's the problem. The lack of a head-to-head is, that's pretty unfortunate on the side of Tennis Sandgren because, yes, you've watched Federer, you know everything about him, but if you've never played him and had that, you're going in at even more of a disadvantage. Whereas Federer, I mean, that's not really a disadvantage to him. Yeah, he hasn't seen the style, but he's Roger Federer and he's on rod labor. The intimidation factor is much
1: more on the other side. Yeah, and look, it's not as though Tennis Sandgren isn't aware of how Roger Federer is going to play. I mean, I think anyone who's been around tennis for this as long as Tennis Sandgren has has watched Roger Federer on his TV sure. play a big match at some point in his lifetime. That being said, it's totally different when you face the gauntlet of that beautiful service motion, of that big first forehand. When he knifes his first backhand slice return, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this ball all night? That being said, Sandgren does have the component you hate the most if you're a 38-year-old Roger Federer, and that's he's going to make this match as physical as possible. Sandgren does have the service weapons to do some damage, to win some free points— But I mean, I'm I'm probably leaning Roger Federer in this one. It's going to be interesting to see where he's at physically. I think Sandgren gets a set for sure, but I'm thinking Roger in four.
2: Yeah, no, I, I don't hate that. I think Sandgren, I think Sandgren can certainly get a set or two in this one. Hard for me to tell. I, I don't know. It's it's difficult to because if he gets this thing to a fifth set. I mean, where do you put the odds there, right? I mean, obviously, so much depends on how they look throughout the match, but just at face value, if this thing goes to a fifth set, Tennis Sandgren, with his physicality and how fit he has been, particularly you mentioned against a 38 year old Roger Federer, Sandgren could win that thing in five. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that could be a really fun match, and so hopefully we'll be treated to at least four sets of tennis, uh, if not the best out of both of those guys. Uh, all right, our last match to talk about, number two seed Novak Djokovic taking on the number 32 seed Milos Raonic. Djokovic in their careers, 9-0. and And if you're going to epitomize why generation Grigor, Milos, Kane, Ishikori hasn't broken through, it's because in the latest rounds of these majors, they've lost to the Djokovic's of the world. For uh, Raonic, it's happened twice at a slam. He lost quarterfinals, French Open straight sets to Djokovic 2014 quarterfinals uh Australian Open to Djokovic 2015 uh the last time they played was 2018 in Cincy in that instance jokovic 7-5-4-6-6-3 winner uh and look the way Milos Raonic is serving there is no doubt he has the ability to just as as good of a new as neutralizing of a returner as Djokovic is some of those Milos Raonic serves you're seeing it's just so much so Jamie I mean it's obvious he's going to have to bring that, but how are you feeling about Milos Raonic's chances in this one, given how well he's been playing thus far in the tournament?
2: Honestly, a lot higher than probably other people are giving him a chance for, because, I mean, it's just been insane if you've watched some of the serving performances he has put on display. I mean, that match against Chilich, three sets, he hit 35 aces. That is absurd. That's 12 yeah. aces a set. I mean, that's just that's just nuts. Um, and so yes, Djokovic, phenomenal returner. Yes, we'll get more um, returns back in play than Chilich. but man, some of these rockets, you just cannot do anything about it. Milos Raonic, I mean, a guy who has not lost a set in this match, took out the six seed Sitsipas 5-4 and 6. <sighs> Look, I mean, I think Djokovic, you still have to give him the edge in this, but... This is a big-time upset alert for me, and I know that's surprising, especially really? because, because he's 0-9 against him. But, I mean, realistically, if we're getting in—if he's able to serve—simply, if he's able to hold, who knows what can happen in a tiebreak? And that's sort of the mentality around it. I mean, maybe not the mentality, but at least for a watch as a spectator, I'm thinking, okay, if this, if this gets anywhere near a tiebreak, he's got a chance.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. It's the same thing a mindset that Kyrgios had against Nadal. Just protect my serve. Get to the tie break. See what happens. It's a race to seven. Anything can happen in that stretch of time. That being said, I mean, I have no reason to doubt Djokovic. He looks better and better as well as this tournament has progressed. The elbow injury seems to have been holding up just fine. I see your upset alert. If Raonic takes a set 7-6, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest. But I'm still leaning Djokovic
2: in yeah, this one. I think you have to.
1: Yeah. All right. I did not tell you this beforehand, but I do have some right-take, wrong-take, hot-take ready for you. We can Brutal. do a brief edition today because uh, I just have two. I feel like we've been doing a lot of them, so I want to save some takes for Fair post-tournament. Enough. But I do have a couple for you today if you're ready to rock and roll. Sound good? Do it. All right. my Westoff, give me a right-take, wrong-take, hot-take sound effect, please. All right, let's start with this one, and this is a fun one. Um, At the end of the Big 3, Big 4, Big 5 era, whatever you want to call it, and I think right now it's Federer's at 20, uh, Nadal's at 19, Djokovic's at 16. The slam leader on the men's singles side will have more slam titles than Serena Williams. Good take, bad take, hot take. Ooh.
2: That's a hot take. I mean, well, (laughs) actually— I mean, Joker- so the thing is,
1: Djokovic needs seven.
2: Like, that's a lot. Well, and that's granted. That's saying Serena doesn't win anymore. That's true. I'm going to say hot take, but feasible for Djokovic. I don't know if it's Not- feasible for the other two.
1: Here's the thing. Nadal would only need to steal really... Uh, let's say Nadal has two more French Opens in him, right? And there's we haven't seen anything to doubt that at this point. Then he'd only need two more other ones. It feels like Rafa's the only guy of the group who could actually eclipse that twenty three number because the idea of Djokovic winning eight more slams is just nonsense. Um I mean it's not nonsense. It's just a lot to process. I don't
2: know. I mean you think you don't think Djokovic for the next four years can win two each year. Uh,
1: God, I hope not. Uh no that's not true. I don't hope not. I just hope someone's pushing him. Someone new is pushing him, I swear. Correct. But, but I you don't think, think you don't think Rafa can win four in the next you know three years? I think he can.
2: I mean, yeah, he can. Oh man, he can really, he can really inflate those numbers with his French wins, can he? It's, it's like it's yeah, it's, it's Ninety-three um, and two. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it this way: I think Djokovic still has the best chance, given the age, given what we've seen from him, particularly the fact that two of the four are on hard courts every year. That gives him an edge. Yes, he has more ground to sort of you know make back up here, but he's also got more time, and I think he's got more physical tennis left than him. Um, I think Feds out of, uh, I think Feds the least likely than Nadal than Djokovic.
1: I agree. Definitely goes Djokovic most likely than Nadal than Fed to say the opposite way of how you said it. Um, Yeah, it's if Djokovic doesn't get to twenty three, if he doesn't break the record, it's going to be last year's U.S. Open. Then he's like, how did I not win that one? Like, come on, that one was there for me. Well, he also
2: stole Wimbledon. And yeah. should have won that. Fed had match points on his serve. So let's be let's be fair there.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, that's how it works out. All right. Um, that being – so that's one of my other ones today. I have a bunch on this list. One of them is just is Alex Zverev back. Um, but I don't want to do that right now because okay. we'll litigate Zverev plenty after this major, I'm sure. All right. My last one. Given what we've seen from the Iga Shviteks, the uh, Sabalenkas, the Yastrzemskas, Nisimova Goths, Benchichs, Osakas, Andreskes, Sofia Kennens of the world. Given that she won a tournament in the the build-up to this 2020 Australian Open, has Karolina Pliskova's window to win a slam passed? No. That's a bad take?
2: I think that's a bad take. Um, The window is not passed. I don't think it's a guarantee that she'll win one, but she's going to have more opportunities to make deep runs, particularly on hard courts. Yeah, she's going to have opportunities to win ones in the future.
1: I agree with you, but I just wanted to bring this up to mention the fact of, again, how loaded the WTA is right now in terms of young Definitely. players. Again, the, the Sakari, Mertens, Conteve, uh, Vekic, Keys generation, they're all like 24. And it's like, yeah, yeah but we've seen them for a while. We kind of know what to expect. It's like, no, we don't. Like we really, I'm sorry, but they they still have a ton of good tennis in them, and they're going to get pushed more and more by this next generation of young WTA players. I think 2020, we again, it wouldn't shock me if we see four grants, different Grand Slam champions this year.
2: Wow, that would be, I mean, that'd be something special, right? That makes that always makes things interesting. But yeah, it's in play. Pliskova though definitely has a shot.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And look, I, I, that's something we will enjoy monitoring all week long, uh, all year long, really, on this mini break podcast. And of course, these mini break podcasts possible to, to our friends at Diadem Sports. Use our promo code CR50. Get 50% off your order of their rackets, of their string technology. Don't let it get pricey on you. Lock that bad boy in. Enjoy those beautiful aqua blue rackets. Also, while you're playing tennis, fuel yourself properly. Be sure to visit our friends at Aerobar. You know the deal now. Tennis specific energy bar. However, how rare is it to say that? We want to see you at the U.S. Uh, at the U.S. Open, at the Australian Open, at one of these slams someday, and you can do that by fueling yourself right and join these arrow bars. Use our promo code CRACKED30, E D three zero to get 30% off your order there. Shout out to our super producers, Max Flieger and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f- of an energy job to do, as always. And again, it's week two, home stretch. You know we'll be bringing these mini breaks to you each and every day. This week on our Cracked Rackets note, Australian Open coverage as well as, recapping the ita kickoff weekend previewing the women's ita championships which i i think are coming not this weekend but two weekends now so i guess that's a next week thing but we'll recap both the men's and women's kickoff weekends uh you know all of the usual stuff i know we have a couple of cracked interviews in the queue for this week as well to see all that be sure to check out our website crackedrackets.com this podcast the great shot podcast cracked interviews podcast like rate subscribe review jamie any final thoughts from you
2: I am excited for some quarterfinal action and any action that we get in Australia. Well, then, That's on what that. I got. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like it. Well, then on that note, for my co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at both Diadem Tennis and Aero Bar, and of course, all of us here at Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell everyone? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.